This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So last summer, I decided I wanted to ride my bike across the state of Tennessee. I started in Memphis, the westernmost point of the state after crossing the mighty Mississippi River on Bridgeport Road, and I ended up in Flag Pond, the easternmost point. Now, on Google Maps, it says you could bike from Memphis to Flag Pond in two days and two hours, but don't believe that unless you're not planning on stopping to rest, eat, or even take a leak. And oh, well, it doesn't work out that way if you're staying at secluded campsites. You see, most of the campsites I stayed at weren't even listed on Google Maps. It didn't matter much anyway. I had planned on taking my whole summer just biking, clearing my head, and enjoying the scenery. Now, I live in Greasy Corner, Arkansas, down next to 15 Mile Bayou. My hometown is small, to say the least, and all us kids always talked about getting out to see the world someday. Only thing was, well, none of us had the money to do it. And that's the thing about small towns. Some of them are just like live animal traps. Easy to get into, but impossible to escape. There's just no getting out. And to those of us born there, that's what we felt like anyway. But I had figured out early on that my bike could take me places, and I didn't have to worry about having a lot of money to travel. My cousins live in Mississippi, and the year before, I had biked a zigzag pattern across that state. It was great, and the people in the small towns along the way were mostly nice. They gave me directions to campsites that were local and secluded, and I used up my entire summer, part of the fall that year, bouncing from camp to camp, working odd jobs for a little cash along the way. Now my family thinks I'm crazy, and they keep telling me I'm going to get killed out in some nowhere location. I guess they think a serial killer or murderer on the loose will be interested in a lone biker whose possessions can be carried in a worn-out backpack. You know, I don't know. I mean, I guess they are. Sometimes you hear about it, but I never worried about it. But with my previous experience being so good, I had no doubt that my Tennessee crossing would be anything less than great. And it was great from Memphis to Flag Pond. Of course, the mountains in East Tennessee did give me more trouble physically than I had anticipated and I had to stop far more often to rest than I was accustomed to. 
scenery was worth it though. It were breathtaking views from the summits of the mountains and lush valleys with fields of wildflowers and blooming trees just made me wish for a home there someday. However, the trip back toward home was different. I didn't take the same route. I never did. The whole point was to see as much of the state as possible. And on my way down from Flag Pond, I stopped at a little hostel in a place called Chestua. Irwin was the city, but it reminded me of back home. It was a small town trying to be a city and failing. Not that I disliked the place. Small towns are kind of my thing. I was taking a meal at the hostel when some of the AT hikers started talking about the off-trail campsites that I might like to visit. When I told them that I wanted to see the Nochucky River, they told me about Jonesboro. It sounded like the kind of place I would enjoy. I could say that Bogart's Hill, part of Highway 81 South, should never have been marked as a bike route. That was possibly one of the scariest roads I've ever been on with a bike. It twists and turns. Its uphill is so steep you can barely pedal across to the downhill side, which swings right into a long steep curve that follows the bend in the Nolichucky River. And that steep curve is called the Devil's Looking Glass Curve. There's a sheer rock face across the river that's easily seen from the road, and I had seen many pictures of it before. There's also a small graveyard just off the side of that curve. I had to wonder if those were the graves of people who lost their lives while biking on that part of the road. Wishing I hadn't listened to the hikers and not daring to go back the way I had come, I got off the road at an abandoned store next to Deacon Creek Road and rested in the shade of the defunct business. The semis roared past at speeds far exceeding the limit for safe travel on that narrow strip and I was seriously considering staying where I was for the rest of the day and overnight. A couple of near misses with Peterbilts and Mack trucks had taken all the brave right out of me. An older man stopped his pickup at the end of Deacon Road and saw me sitting in the shade with my bike. He waved and I waved back, and instead of turning into the main road, he steered into the parking lot and rolled up to where I sat. He asked if everything was okay. I told him, just biking across the state back home to Arkansas. Does this road widen out anywhere in that direction? And I pointed the way I had been headed. I told him quickly where I was hoping to go to camp for the night. It sure does. Just about 800 to 1,000 feet in that direction is Arnold Road. And just past that is the new Emberville Bridge. The road widens and you'll have room to pedal in the breakdown laid all the way to the old Chucky trading post. I think it's called River Park Campground now. Or you could go down to the ponds past Crossroads Store. I thanked him and he drove off toward Irwin. With traffic still nine kinds of crazy, I opted for pushing my bike along the bottoms of people's yards and stopping at a small church parking lot. Arnold Road was directly in front of me, and the bridge the old man had told me about was just past it. The bike lane was nice and wide, but the bike route was marked on Arnold Road, where I saw no bike lane at all. I also saw no traffic coming or going onto that road. In the end, I chose Arnold Road. It was even scarier than the last road even though there was barely any traffic. 
The rock cliffs pushed in close on me on my right, and the other side of the road was a drop-off to the Nolichucky River, several yards below. I pedaled as fast as I could, hoping to find a suitable destination before nightfall. When I came to a fork in the roads, I followed my instincts and veered to the right. I had my phone, and therefore my Google Maps could lead me out if I happened to get lost enough to need it. And I passed the sign that said, Unica Forestry Products, a sawmill of some kind. And then I saw a sign that read Dry Creek Road. And soon, I was on a mountain road where there were no homes, no signs of towns, nothing but mountains on either side of the pavement. And the only sounds were the ones made by me, the wildlife, and the occasional cars that passed me. I kept seeing places where I could get off the road that looked like little trails, some looked like motorcycle or bike trails, and others looked like game trails. It was getting late, so I took a chance and hit one of the larger water trails. There was barely enough room on it for me to ride, but it was fun and it was adventurous, and the adrenaline pumping through my veins exhilarated me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the top of the hill, the trail split into three different directions. Again, I chose at random and went with it. The trail led to a wide, long field of tall grass. No trees or undergrowth, just tall grass blowing in the wind. I searched for the trail and found an old gravel road instead. It skirted the field, and I wondered where the hell I'd ended up. Past the weathered concrete and cinder block building, and I could tell by the smell coming from it that it was a bathroom facility, but I hadn't seen a recreation area yet. Several hundred feet past the bathroom, there was a huge, beautiful pond shimmering in the midsummer's evening sun. There was also another camper at the pond, fishing with one reel in his hand, and three lined up on the shore. He had shoved forked sticks in the sand and propped the reels on them, anchoring the back ends with large rocks. He spun, nearly dropping the rod and reel in his hands. Ah, oh, you scared the hell out of me. I thought you were the game warden. I don't have my fishing license. He grinned sheepishly. Hey man, that's your business. I held up my hands and laughed. Are there any other campers out here? No, just me as far as I saw. I've been here a few days and you're the first person I've seen. But hey, this is the only free park around here anymore. Rest of them charge five bucks just to get in. He grinned. You can camp anywhere you like. He motioned to include everything I could see, which wasn't much for the thick forest around the place. The pond seemed to be the most open space around. I walked into the woods and saw several picnic tables nestled into the little man-made alcoves. There were fire pits with grill tops for barbecues with the family. The little trail was overgrown, and large roots had made it nearly impossible to walk without tripping. 
The alcoves had been overtaken by vines and small sapling trees. The picnic tables were covered in vines. This wasn't just a secluded campsite. It was defunct. No one had used this place in several years, and I thought it might have been closed down, but there were no signs and no chains and nothing to bar my entry. And so I set up my tent and sleeping bag a few hundred feet away from Mr. No Fishing License, and I had no desire to get to know him or even chit-chat with him. I just wanted to have a good view of that beautiful pond, straight across to the bathroom facility. It's rare that I stay in a place that actually has a concrete bathroom, and I hate the plastic porta johns in most places. I mean, hey, you know what? It's the small things you learn to appreciate when you're roughing it in the woods for the summer. The smell of honeysuckle hung thick in the humid evening air. I watched the sunset from the doorway of my tent as I ate beans and beef jerky for dinner. The other guy had built a fire and was roasting his unlicensed catch. The smell of wood smoke and fish soon overpowered the honeysuckle, clean scent I had been enjoying. So I zipped up my tent and crawled into my sleeping bag just before a fall dark. The noise of the crickets and tree frogs lulled me to sleep after only a few minutes. The day's ride had been long and difficult, and it tired me out more than I had realized. But screams. Loud screams woke me some time later, and I grabbed my flashlight. The scream stopped as I stepped out of my tent, and there were no sounds at all as I made my way to the other camper's tent. The orange fabric had been shredded, and there was blood everywhere. The man's belongings were strewn about on the shore for thirty feet or more, and his dinky little styrofoam cooler bobbed in the water. The floor of the tent was soaked in blood, and there was large, dark spots in the sand that I took to be blood as well. Frantic, I searched the nearby undergrowth for him but found nothing, and then, as I moved back down toward the shore, I saw large paw prints in the wet sand. Dog tracks. I was certain that's what made those prints. And I looked back to the tent, the embers of the fire, and remembered that he had been cooking fish. Had a dog come for the fish and found the man instead? Had it only been one dog or a group? My phone was at my tent, and I ran along the shore toward my camp, but kept looking back to make sure I wasn't being pursued. I reached into the tent and yanked my backpack out. I fumbled for my phone several times before actually getting a hold of it. I turned it on. The backlight was blinding in the darkness. I hit the phone icon and waited for the dial pad to appear and punched in 911 and hit the call button. I put the phone to my ear and turned back to scan the shoreline for movement. And it was at this point, across the pond, a set of glowing eyes peered out at me from the impenetrable darkness of the forest. My blood froze. I looked at my tent and back to the eyes. A dog could easily run along the edge of my pond and be to my camp within a few seconds. No way was I going to hide in my tent after seeing the other guys. There's something strange about the eyes. They were far higher off the ground than a dog's eyes would be. I stood 
and back toward the uphill slope toward that concrete bathroom. The eyes disappeared and reappeared farther down the edge of the pond. It was moving stealthily around the perimeter. My phone made no sounds, and when I checked it, there was no signal. Glowing eyes disappeared and reappeared on my side of the pond, and that was too close for comfort. And I turned and ran to the bathroom, jumping inside and slamming the metal door shut. I slid the bar lock into place and stood there, catching my breath. And the rancid smell of years, old waste gagged me. And then I heard heavy breathing outside the metal door, and I put my hands against it. I didn't know how old the place was or if the bar lock had rusted enough to be broken by a hard hit. And hell, I didn't even know for sure what the thing outside the door was. A dog? A wolf? Coyote? Uh, something else? A man? I didn't even know why any of those animals would act in such a way. Hunger? Rabies? Pure evil? I was left to my thoughts and guesses. And then the beast sneezed once, and then began scratching at the bottom corner of the door. It was a light scratching that reminded me of my aunt's cocker spaniel scratching at the door when he needed to go out and pee. It wasn't anything alarming, except that the candid scratching at the bathroom door had likely just tore a man's tent to shreds and then killed him and dragged him off. That meant the animal had to have been much larger than a coyote. So, I had ruled out that one at least. The scratching and snuffling ceased, and I heard the gravels crunching under the animal's feet as he retreated. And I listened, holding my breath until I could hear no movement. I sighed and looked up. The roof of the bathroom didn't meet the center block wall. It was set on metal bars that were a foot apart all the way around, leaving at least eight inches or more of space between the top row of blocks and the tin roof. The top row of blocks was only about six and a half feet high, and at five foot eight, well, I could reach it easily. I turned the metal trash can over and stood on it, hunched over to see out. I looked into the direction of my camp, but saw nothing in the darkness. The can teeter-tottered under my feet, and I grabbed the roof's support bars to keep my balance. Then suddenly, suddenly, there was fur and claws tearing at the bar I was holding, and then they were gone. I fell backwards and hit the broken concrete on my side, screaming in pain as something cut into my hip. The animal outside barked and yelled, and then began digging at the metal door, frenzied. I could hear his teeth clashing with the metal handle. It was a type you pulled down to open the door. Then his claws were scraping at the metal and hitting the handle. And on my back, I turned and put my foot against the door. The animal hit the door so hard with each downstroke of its paws that it jarred me to the top of my head. I pressed a hand on my bleeding hip. A shard of broken concrete had made a puncture wound the size of my pinky, and blood poured from it. The smell of blood would only heighten the animal's frenzy, so I tried to stave it quickly, but it kept pouring. After a few minutes, the animal left again. I stood and leaned against the door, 
The corroded sink on the other corner was disgusting, but I made my way there to check if there was any water. Of course, there wasn't. The old school metal paper towel holder hung askew on its remaining screw, and it was empty. The roll of eco-friendly toilet paper in the stall had long ago disintegrated, and there was nothing to help stop the bleeding. I ripped the sleeve off my t-shirt and wadded it against the hole in my hip. By then, blood had run down my leg and was pooling under my foot. I heard the crunching of gravel as the creature ran toward the bathroom. Thinking it was going to ram the door like a scene from Cujo, I braced against it, anticipating the impact. And instead, the thing leaped, and its enormous front paws were thrust through the openings above, and it dug at the wall outside with its back claws, but they found no footing, and the snarling beast fell to the ground. And then... I saw the strangest thing ever. I heard the slight crunching sound outside, the gravel once again. And I saw its face peer through the opening, its yellow eyes glowing in the dark, staring right at me. This beast was one of intelligence. I was shocked. But then again, it ran away. And it charged, jumping into the openings above. And this time, it hung on longer and it snapped at the iron bars. The head was that of, I don't know, abnormally large dog or wolf with human-like features. The only thing I had to defend myself with was the metal lid to that old trash can. I dove for it, grabbed it, and started smashing the front legs that jutted through the bars. The creature yelped in pain and fell again. It clawed at the block wall and growled before running off again, and I thought it would surely stop its attack, but it didn't. It went back to the door handle and clawed at it, until the only thing keeping it out was the slide lock. I thrashed the door with the lid, thinking the noise would drive it away. Again, I was wrong. It only seemed to incite him to further rage. The lock was sturdy, but the old metal eye on the wall was ready to fall off, and under the force of another vicious attack, it would pop off and give that thing access to my little haven of safety. I had no choice but to stand there bracing the door as the thing attacked the handle repeatedly. When he stopped that time, there was a longer period of silence before he came back. Some of the viciousness had ebbed out of his attack, and then I heard him flop down against the door, panting. I think the last attack was a Hail Mary attempt at the door handle. It lasted only a few minutes, but man, it felt like forever. At that point, the sun had begun to rise. That meant I could see outside if I climbed up on the trash can again, but I couldn't leave the door. With sunrise came the accompanying noise of birds. Thousands of twittering, sing-songy, noisy-some birds. And I'd never wished death on anything until that moment. I wished every bird in earshot would just drop dead. I could hear nothing but them 
after an hour of birdsong and of birds flying into and out of the openings above my head, well, I got brave enough to crack the door and look out. The animal wasn't there. The thing or whatever the hell it was. I locked the door again and climbed up onto the trash can, and I saw the animal, part man, disappearing into a thicket on the other side of the pond. It was my only chance. Well, maybe my only chance. My bike was at the camp, and I was not going back there to risk the creature seeing me. Barefoot and with nothing but the clothes I wore, I sneaked out of the bathroom and ran back the way I had come. I didn't stop running until I came upon the sign for the forestry products again. I hoped it was far enough away from the animal to be safe. But... Anyway, I won't be biking across any more states for a while. I think I'll stay at my home. <laughs> in my mousetrap of a hometown. And watch sunsets from the safety of my own home from now on. <laughs>